What's that? I was I was playing. Um, Oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> Hold on one second. Hello, my friends. Andy coming to you live from Orange County, California. I'm trying to stop the, I don't know what's happening right now. I'm trying to turn off a video that's playing in the background and it's not letting me turn it off. There we go. So sorry about that. Could you hear that? Not really. Oh, thank <laughs> Sorry, it was super loud on my end. Hey, this is Andy coming to you live from Orange County, California, and my love, Hedia Maramati Falco, which is it's too long to fit. We got to shorten your name. Yes, we do. Or make the font smaller. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Hedia? I am fantastic. I'm actually really fired up about this too. I mean, you told are, me that you were all fired. I am really fired up about this. <laughs> it's just craziness. We just came off of our devotional. So hopefully that will give us a little bit of, um, you know, the Holy Spirit in us as we, especially me, you are so good. I I am not so good. I, <laughs> I, um, I can lash out just a little bit. Um, but uh, I, I keep wanting to mention here, the Andy Falco Show, that is the YouTube channel, which has all of our videos. So the devotional is up there. Uh, when I'm talking about my prostate on the prostate, the Andy and the Andy Prostate Show, <laughs> it's on there too. All the, the shows, uh, the Andy, what's, what's that? called the Andy Prostate Show? I forget what it's called. The Prostate okay. Update Show or something. I forgot what I called it. Uh, I, I, I'll have to look that up. I don't even remember. Um, but uh, go to the Andy Falco show, subscribe, and then hit the bell. There's a little bell you want to connect that will alert you to when the, when our shows are going live. And you'll be able, you'll be able to see all of our shows, all the different shows that we do. Um, today, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, just... Um, it is. It could be one of the worst things that could happen to our country. It's happening right now in one city, the biggest, an important city, not the biggest city, but an important city here in the United States. And it can. It's going to have some long-lasting effects. And if other cities begin to do it, uh, we will see the end of policing in um, the United States of America. Before we get into it, though, I wanted to make sure and let you know that you need to comment. Uh, a lot. Let us know how you feel about it. I don't care your view on it. I don't. I, I love the opposing views, by the way. Um, so make sure, no matter whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or Twitch, that you comment and let us know uh, what you're thinking. Uh, we have Priscilla on. She's already all ready to go. All Hi. raring to go there. All right. So let me go ahead and get rid of this uh, uh, frame here. Did you have something you want to say before we get started on this yet, Hedia? Nope. Nope. Hey, Carol Texley's on. Nice to see you, Carol. Uh, I was going to, I was going to try to venture again. I think North Carolina or South Carolina. I always forget what's, I'm so sorry, Carol. I should remember North Carolina. Uh, where you're from. What's up? I think it's North Carolina, North Carolina. Well, that's good. All right. So I'm going to bring this up here and that is, and this is what was making all the noise there. And that is that New York city ends qualified immunity for police officers. Now I can read the article, but, uh, Hedia, you being an attorney, um, if you, would you like to tackle what, um, uh, qualified immunity is uh, for our, our viewers, just in case they don't know. I, I, I guess the best way to describe it is that it prevents civil lawsuits against the police themselves and the departments for things that are done lawfully. Um, it has a very high standard of uh, threshold for to meet for them to impose a civil penalty. Like for example, if, if um, in the George Florida was found to be murder, I believe that that qualified immunity would not count. Um, that, you know, they, they, could, they could be um, civil penalties, but the most important thing is, is that it allows 
the flexibility in the department to do programs, investigations, and police work using an internal standard and not being subject to external standards of people suing to say, you did this wrong, basically. It's basically allowing the general public, eliminating qualified immunities, allowing the general public to um, sue for what they think to be improper police conduct. And also an, an important distinction too, I think is important to, uh, and you said it, but I just wanna make sure and focus in on it, is that uh, uh, suing police officers uh, personally for their homes and their you know bank accounts and their, you know whatever they have as an asset, so it protects the officers uh, but, personally. But de, de Blasio said he did not accept that in his version of the Oops. They're named personally, but the department would have to carry the liability. Okay, good. Good. The, but it's, it's uh, again, this is just a step. Exactly. <laughs> this is just a step. Um, already officers can be arrested for wrongdoing. Um, and so there, there's so many other things that are in place that we need to keep in mind that I, um, uh, th this, this next step that they're taking to make it difficult for a police officer to make decisions on the street and uh, causing them to even question themselves a little bit more is, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to look at me and say, well, don't we want officers, you know, taking one more second? Yes. But that can be the, the mean the difference between life and death, uh, their life, their death and your life and your death. Um, when we begin to do that and I, I'll get a little bit deeper into that, but there is, um, an aspect of, this uh, job. I was a police officer for 21 years. Uh, Hedia was uh, working with the FBI for um, a, a couple, almost as long as I was a police officer, I think, right? How long were you working as a... I, I was I was a federal contractor. So my yeah. uh, relationship with the FBI was two and a half years, but I worked for every branch of the federal government before yeah. that. So, but it, it was counterterrorism, which was protecting yeah. people, <laughs> which is a, a type of law enforcement of, of protection. But um, what when I was doing my job as a police officer, so I think maybe this is the time to visit this, is that when I went to work every day, my intention was to protect the the citizens of, of not only Anaheim, because often we would go out of the city of Anaheim, we would chase uh, somebody outside the city limits. Um, sometimes people, suspects would come out from other cities, and then we would be deployed to other, other cities to help departments that were having a particular uh, huge night of, uh, of business. So it was essentially, we were um, protecting the citizens of California. When we're sworn in as police officers in California, we are sworn in as California police officers, not necessarily just for the city of Anaheim. And I, I just want to make sure that, that you understand that. So when I went to work every day, uh, I went there with the intention to do that. And I would make, have to make split decisions often, whether to pull my gun out, whether to pull the trigger, whether to keep my gun in the holster and hit them with some type of striking baton or some striking instrument or to use OC spray or um, to run into a building, as I described in a show that I did the other day where I was chasing somebody. I went into foot pursuit. I chased somebody right into their home, tackled them in their hallway and maybe gave them a couple noogies here and there and then was able to uh, handcuff them. And so all these decisions you have to make are split second decisions that you have to move on or you're going to not be able to arrest the guy. He's going to get away if you hesitate. Um, and if you hesitate, you can, you're, you can lose your life. And again, if you hesitate, somebody else could lose their life. The, the, the protection or the understanding that in doing that job, that um, my, 
my doing my job is is protected by a, a qualified immunity so that I can continue to make these decisions. Sometimes I might be wrong, right? But we don't want to be so um, uh, so careful not to be wrong that we we become paralyzed. I, I talked about this on the devotional, and and then one of the things is that starting a business. Uh, when we feel we're not ready to start the business and we just keep not feeling like we're not ready, we keep feeling we're not ready and we never get started. And it's called uh, 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 paralysis through analysis, that we never take action because we're paralyzed because we're in analyzing. We go, am I going to get sued? Am I going to get arrested? I mean, we and then you begin to, to have this mindset that I can't make a decision because I'm afraid. And that's not how you want your police officers working. And through New York, starting here, and again, this is a step, and, and Hedia corrected me uh, because of something uh, that uh, de Blasio apparently said later on that I didn't read. But still, hearing, you know, as a police officer, hearing that they're ending qualified immunity, I'm sure that somehow I'm going to be affected personally uh, through this type of legislation that just through went through in New York. Hedia? Well, I think that they could... Um easily have the the ripple effect on the officers because guess what your department gets sued because of something you did and that heat comes down on you and you potentially lose your job or you ended up in the mail room or whatever it is you're going to be just as concerned as an as an officer not to have that kind of attention come to the department where they're paying millions of dollars because you know you said the wrong thing to someone you know because the grounds for these lawsuits are are outrageous because you can cry racism and of course racism if if policing if an officer engaged in blatant racism in order to arrest somebody of course there's something wrong with that but uh, i'll tell you about my field uh i wasn't at the uh, the the hard end of it we were developing somewhat controversial programs about how to stop terrorism i mean this country has suffered a tremendous amount loss of life because of terrorism and so the thought that, and there's a bunch of paperwork that I signed um, when I started with the Bureau, uh, when I went in-house at the Bureau, and I just couldn't imagine, and some of the programs that I worked on with NYPD, I can't imagine them doing those programs if they could be sued by everybody they investigated and anybody's house they went into claiming racism. Because right now we're focused on black against white, um, but I guarantee you the Muslim community is looking at this as a huge win for them because they can claim any of these cases are racism. And so what is that going to do to the counterterrorism program in New York? It's going to have a devastating effect and just based on stuff I can't really talk about, but about the way their investigative and intelligence unit is, uh, unit is set up, that could have huge consequences on those units and what they've done since 9-11 to keep um, the city safe. And that's just, that's just terrifying to me on the consequences that'll have nationwide. Absolutely. Uh, it essentially, I mean, it, it ends, it's going to end proactive policing. I mean, just sticking your neck out, going out there looking for criminals, looking for crime. Um, already in cities like Minneapolis and New York and um, Portland, and Seattle and Washington, D.C., anytime a police officer is even uh, perceived to have done something wrong, they uh, it's almost automatic that they file criminal charges against them. It is, it is, and that is just unheard of. 
right? And, there, and it's, it's, it's causing cops not to handle proactive uh, uh, or not, um, not take, take proactive enforcement. Proactive enforcement is going out looking for crime. Uh, so if there was, um, say, in carjackings, one of the stats that I looked at right here is in, in a number of different areas. Carjacking is up by a large percentage. Hold on, let me look at where I had there. So in Chicago, for instance, it's a 370 carjackings in three months. That is a huge spike, 370 carjackings in three months. If there's a specific area where these are occurring, proactive policing would say, hey, we're going to take a bunch of cops. We're going to put them in these areas where these carjackings are occurring, and we are going to put a bunch of undercover officers there. We're going to put SWAT team members in strategic areas, and we're going to – it's proactive policing to try to catch these criminals in the act. This is going to stop because what's going to happen when you stop – try to stop an armed – carjacking is an armed robbery. So they either got a they got a gun or a knife or maybe even a taser that they're going to use, much like the one that they used in the crime in Washington, D.C., where the 13 and 15 year old girl uh, were tasing the Uber uh, each driver, uh, which eventually caused his death. Now, it was a murder, but CNN called caused it called it an accident. Both girls were arrested for murder. So that is a carjacking. You're using some type of of instrument to use force or fear to steal a car. That is a carjacking. That's not an auto theft. That is completely different. Auto theft is when the car is stolen, when nobody's around. Carjacking is when somebody is actively using some type of instrument to cause threat uh, of harm before they take your car and forcibly take your other car. Now, proactive policing would put somebody in there, a cop, uh, undercover, a SWAT team member, whatever, in a, in a strategic position to try to stop that from happening almost guarantees some type of violent incident would occur on some of these occasions. Why would you put yourself in that position? Why would you say, okay, let's go do this and potentially get arrested for shooting a carjacker? Because that's what they're doing, right? They're, they're arresting and prosecuting officers who are arresting somebody who's committing a crime and the person gets hurt or dies. And, and that is just without uh, this, uh, this new, um, uh, law that's taking place in uh, the city of New York. It's just going to make things worse. Now you're even less likely as a cop to want to be able to do something like that. And remember, yeah. and even now that, which is a, a disturbing trend where in the past they wouldn't automatically press charges. They'd wait until the evidence came out and was reviewed in its entirety. But at least that the officers have the confidence that the criminal justice system would prevail, that the standard that would be used is a reasonable standard of care for an officer's conduct and that the truth would come out. But in a civil action, it's not who wins, it's the fight that can kill you. I mean, it's the, it's the fight that could take your whole life away from you. And so just the thought that they could be embroiled in frivolous lawsuits or just unreasonable lawsuits as a result of something they did either on the spot or in an investigation or an intelligence. And, and then their whole life is wrapped up in being in the news constantly and then their kids get harassed. And I, I just can't imagine what Pandora's box this opens um, I mean, like our, our legal system, our civil legal system is already so expensive and it's such a mess. I can't imagine what adding this to it will do. And people, and I'd also like to point out that what, it, based on the trends of this administration, what this is going to do to whites, you know, majority Americans, whites in the police department and in law enforcement, and also <laughs> Christians, because anybody can claim what you did was racist. Um, which was most likely going to be against white people, 
saying that they were racist against somebody of color and also Christians. So once you have the Equality Act, if that goes through, then basically people could bring causes of action that your faith made you behave in a certain way and therefore I'm suing you for it. Right. To, to think this is okay, I mean, you have to believe that uh, a couple things. You have to believe that the police are systemically racist, which is a myth. It is not true. There have been several studies that have done, even uh, recent studies that have done that have shown that it's not true. So you have to believe that. And we know there's a, the media believes it and uh, mostly uh, the liberal Democrats uh, believe. Um, so you have to believe that. So that's why this is going through in places like New York and Minneapolis and, and Baltimore will probably uh, uh, soon follow. Um, but you also have to believe that the departments don't take care of this stuff themselves. Like we just completely ignore, you know, a bad cop or a bad trend that's happening in law enforcement or within the police department. Um, and that is so untrue. At any police department, uh, we were, uh, you know, whatever, whether we had a change of chiefs or a change of captains, they would come in and say, okay, what do we see that's going on? What type of, um, uh, things are going on with our, with our police officers? Is there a trend in officers being, uh, accused of uh, using excessive force? Um, is, uh, you know, if LAPD is something happened in LAPD, then would it affect us at Anaheim PD? If something was happening at Santa Ana P, it would ha affect us at Anaheim PD. Um, and so I think LAPD or no, LA County Sheriff at one point, they decided, you know, we're not going to pursue anything other than a murderer or a rapist. If, if we know for sure the person we're pursuing is a murderer, then we'll pursue them with a vehicle uh, in a vehicle pursuit. But if it's a, it's, if it's a auto theft, we won't. Uh, pursue them um, and we'll just let them go. So what do you think happened in LA County areas? Auto thefts went up <laughs> and they just, they said, well, they're not going to chase us. We'll just take off. They won't chase us and then we can get away. And then, the, and so they would, they would, they would, um, they would not pursue them. Um, uh, you know, they would get on the freeway. Uh, 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 gosh, what's the name of the agency? Uh, California Highway Patrol. California, uh, California Highway Patrol uh, would notice that they would exit if they were pursuing an, an auto theft suspect, uh, California Highway Patrol, and they exited in L.A. County, then um, then they would have to let them go because they knew L.A. County wouldn't back them up. It would not support them with the pursuit that went through an L.A. County uh, station area. Uh, but then, and so the bad guys were even exiting before they got into Orange County. So they were pursuing southbound from L.A. County and they would exit before they got into Orange County because we could pursue them. And so you see cr crime, um, criminals are, are, are not always stupid. Uh, they, they talk, they talk in prison, they talk to each other. And so there's that aspect. So I'm just going back to my point is that these trends, we these things happen all the time. LAPD, LA County Sheriff, Anaheim PD, all of us, we 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 try to um, control bad cops, bad policy all the time. We do this. We don't need somebody that knows nothing what they're talking about, which is namely Democratic politicians. They know nothing. They don't know what a chokehold is. Uh, and, they, and they have to outlaw these things. They're actually a very effective tool when we use them correctly. And so they outlaw this thing that and they, they call a chokehold uh, something a chokehold that's not a chokehold. Um, they call them assault rifles. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, they don't even know. <laughs> and so we have people that have no idea. They've never been in a police car. They've never had to do police work making this, these decisions. Understand that when you make these decisions, you make policing much more difficult. Um, uh, and I'm going to make my point here in that in New York, as I was just saying, where they have uh, what's called um, uh, bail reform laws. The bail reform laws means that people, uh, uh, especially lower income people, are released with no bail uh, of violent felonies. Uh, they are arrested. 
to say there's a shooting, maybe a, a aggravated assault or assault with a deadly weapon or weapons violations when they're arrested. If you have a fear of, of lower income that you don't have to, you, there's no bail. They just go, okay, we fingerprinted you, you can be released. Uh, and so what they've seen since this has happened, they've seen shootings rise by 40% in New York. The rapes have uh, risen by 125%. Uh, um, a 19-year-old was released five times with no bail for illegally possessing a firearm, firearm, arrested five different times and released for the same for the same thing, just in a matter of like weeks, I think it was um, in Baltimore. No, where am I here? So let's see. I had another place, Chicago, Chicago. They reduced their uh, budget, police budget. And they, of course, saw an increase in crime, a huge spike. That was a 370 carjackings in three months. Um, Minneapolis has seen an increase of violent crime shootings since their defunding of, of law enforcement, of, of their law enforcement. So they've seen an increase by more than two, wait, 2,500%, 2,500% compared to 2019 since they've defunded their police officers. Shootings have risen by 2,500% since they defunded their law enforcement. And, and so you can see this correlation just in the defunding movement. What do you think it's going to happen when you now have these, these bell reforms and now you revo- remove qualified immunity? And you're, not prosecuting, and you're not pr- prosecuting low-level crime. I mean, no. it's, 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 it's a, not only is it demonic, but it's a very strategic, manipulative, evil plot to create lawlessness. And uh, just to quote scripture, the Lord said, lawlessness will abound and men's hearts will grow cold. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. This is prophecy about what society is moving towards. And it's which which indicates why people will gravitate to a one world system and a one currency system and an antichrist that comes and saves people. Because when lawlessness abounds and there's chaos and people people want a savior, you know, people who are, you know, when when things get so terrible and they're destroying the fabric of the country and the structures that traditionally held us in place. They destroy them on purpose so that when somebody offers a solution, everybody runs for it. Mm. Wow. Very scary. Yep. So in the United States, we've seen an increase in crime. Where is my stat for that? Uh, new crime in the United States is higher than it's been in the last two decades currently. Wow. And most of that has been since the defunding, deplatforming law enforcement uh, of the last year or so since uh, George Floyd's murder. Or homicide. Sorry, I didn't mean to, to assume anything. I, I'm not sure that, <laughs> that that's going to happen, um, which is going to be really bad. Um, and the one thing I'm so sorry, I'm looking for another stat that I had here. Oh, the low level crimes. And so um, what we're hearing also with the, this lie that they're going to tell you is that, well, we don't there's no low level crime occurring anymore. As a matter of fact, we're seeing a drop in burglaries, a drop in shoplifting. <laughs> we're seeing the drop in all this kind of stuff. I said the problem is the, the problem. Is they're not prosecuting low level crimes. They're not arresting people for low level crimes. It has simply gone away. There's, there's no such thing as drug use, prostitution, shoplifting, um, uh, trespassing, malicious mischief. None of those are being prosecuted none of them are being prosecuted people are walking into stores and stealing anything under four or five hundred dollars because they can and nobody stops them same thing with the covid why did the cases go down because we stopped testing (laughs) (laughs) 
it's up. They're, they're boasting. Look at we have no more low level crime. Well, when you stop arresting people for it, of course you're not going to have low level crime. It, the low level crime is still occurring. It's occurring at a higher rate. You're just not arresting for it, so there's no stat for it. The yeah. statistics are showing that why well, look at it. We have no arrests for low level crime. Yeah, because you're not arresting for low level crime. And so then we go back to my show the other day when I talked about the broken windows theory. This is how you stop carjackings, murders. I mean, not stop them, but you you reduce them. And that is by enforcing the low level crimes. If you're not uh, addressing the low level crimes, you're obviously going to have a peak on the higher level crimes because there's the sense that nobody's caring. Nobody's going to stop me. Nobody's going to arrest me. I get arrested. I go back out. I get arrested. I go back out. I get arrested. I go back out. You have the vice president who's bailing out the uh, the looters and the rioters. They have a fund that she that she supports BLM, that they give money to BLM so they could uh, they could bail out these criminals. Um, and so you have a vice president who supports criminality, a president essentially who supports criminality. We have open borders that allows criminals to come in into our, our country and then we're not prosecuting for low level crimes. And now we get rid of uh, qualified immunity. Uh, what could be worse? Hedia, the closing of our churches. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's um, Priscilla brought this up. Who would go into law enforcement? I can't imagine anybody going into law enforcement when this is the state of affairs. And that's, Another problem is what is the caliber of people that will be left and that will fill these spots? You know, um, it's the that becomes a threat in and of itself because the people that would gravitate to this, their their character and, and the quality of what work they would do is questionable. I mean, it's a it's an unknown variable. We don't know what kind of person will accept this kind of a standard. Yeah. Very disturbing. Yeah, I have I have something about that here. Um, in Washington D.C., they they took fifteen million dollars out of their police budget. They have one more academy of only twenty recruits, and it's their last one. They don't have a new one planned. Um, there's no new hiring being done, and the retirements are at a high rate, and yet their crime is obviously is increasing. Uh, you know, more than tenfold, maybe a hundredfold. Uh, who knows? Uh, in that video, uh, and I shared it with you, Hedy. I'm not sure if you had a chance to watch it yet, but those the 13 and 15 year old girl who uh, used a taser on the Uber Eats driver, um, they uh, tasered him. Somehow, he was kind of hanging out the door, and the door, the driver's, and one of the girls must have pushed on the gas and put it in the drive while he was kind of hanging out, and then as it was. Right, driving off at a high rate of speed, it hit the door, the open door hit a pole and then slammed against the uh, the driver. Uh, and I think it, it pretty much killed him then. It went down the road, swerved, and then it skidded out, crashed, and ended up on its side. The, uh, the victim was thrown from the vehicle, lying there on the sidewalk. Uh, they are continuing the video. Not one person. Now, again, this is the, not only are the 13 and 15 year old just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened to them. Who, what, what parents raise them. Um, but when they show the video of the, of the victim on the ground, nobody's helping him. Oh, number one, nobody helped. There, there was people, there was a guy holding the phone at the time that he was being robbed and then carjacked. He, how about putting down the phone and, and, and getting those through the 13 and 15 year old girl. You can't take a 13 and 15 year old girl. Men would grow cold. It has just built this, um, uh, this, Oh God, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, 
a, a community of thugs and people that just don't care. Like who, I mean, don't care about this. He's a Pakistani uh, immigrant who has a family. He's there trying to earn a living, trying to work. These two girls are stealing the car and nobody stops them. Nobody. There's more than one person there at the time, at the place where he's being robbed. Nobody stopped in there at the time of the crash. Nobody helps him when he's laying there on the, on the floor, on the ground dying. There's two, um, at least two, I think there was one for sure. Um, National guardsmen. Cause they're at least that's what they look like. They're dressed in their fatigues. They're not helping the guy on the ground. Oh wow! And the girls are saying, but my phone's in the car. The, the, two, the two suspects are, are, are upset because their phone's in the car and they won't let them go back to the car to get their phones. It is a horrific, it's just a horrific scene. It, it is, it is, that is worse than I think everything else. Just that there was nobody, nobody helping, nobody cared. The 13 and 15 year old girls who killed this man are worried about their phones. And it's just um, a I nastiness. I, I, I don't even, there's a word for it. And I'm just, it's just not coming to me. But uh, to see that happen in, uh, in our, in our capital, that's our capital. People around the world are seeing this video of what's happening in our capital. We can't control our capital. The the, the capital is, is uh, and, and I, I believe the White House is wrapped in Constantine wire and um, bar and, um, uh, you know, fencing and National Guardsmen everywhere. It is, I'm just so disgusted that all this is taking place. And it, and it, and I'm still on topic. It all stems from this idea that the police are evil and, uh, and that the policing somehow needs to be pushed down to such a low level that we can't protect ourselves anymore. Sorry. I didn't mean to go on that rant, but it is, it was, it's just a disgusting um, uh, epidemic that we have coming in, in, in democratic run cities and, and, and States to, to tell you the truth. Hey, yeah, take over for a second while I, <laughs> Well, I want to answer Priscilla's question about an attorney. Someone becomes a victim of one of these criminals that keep that keeps getting released without consequences. Can they sue the system? So great question. I don't know if the qualified immunity will go to um, that issue, but they will need a cause of action. So they will need to claim negligence or um, some other kind of cause of action for why the department or the officer should be held liable. So uh, I think those that is a great question. And it'll be interesting to see if that's a remedy people like us, if God forbid, we're victims of crime, but it's, it's, uh, we'll, we'll try to do in order to stop the way this system is going. Again, I think this is to Andy's point, we cannot stay silent. We have to write about these issues, complain about them, talk about them with friends and neighbors, because people have to understand this is coming to a neighborhood near you. If you don't care about law and order, when they jump over your fence and try to rape or, uh, you know, rape your children or steal your, um, your property inside your home, you have to realize that this can have direct consequences on your life and the, the safety and well-being of your family and of people that you love. And it's really, really important that we, that we fight back. Absolutely. One thing I just want to end on, what is it uh, that we can, uh, what, what's the most important thing? Uh, when I was hired by a police officer, uh, you know, you had all the tests we had to go through, right? We want to make sure and continue the difficult process that a person that wants to be a police officer has to go to to become a police officer. 
background investigations, psychological investigations, uh, written and oral tests, background tests where they go and visit your neighbors and your friends and your family members. And we want, we need to bring that back up to par. I, I know now somebody may argue with me. I had it happen before that they've reduced some of those tests because it's hard to find people. When you do that, when you make a test hard, people don't pass <laughs> and people you know, that shouldn't be cops get through. And so we need to continue to keep that bar raised to where it used to be standards some years ago. What was that? Now they're going to say the standards racist. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's either racist or sexist. I know that for yeah. sure. Right. It's, it's one of those. Two things. Yes. 300 pounds and four foot 11 and cross get over the wall. So yeah. you got to lower the wall. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's so stupid. You know, I, I was probably one of the shorter people to be, to pass at that time. Um, and then uh, you know, they just, there wasn't, I mean, at Huntington Beach Police Department, you could not be less than six foot and not be uh, 250 pounds of muscle to get, uh, I mean, you, I mean, you go down to Huntington Beach, now it's not like that. But when I was trying to become a cop, they said, well, you're just not big, you're just not big enough. And so I didn't even try because I knew. Um, and that's what they look for. At Anaheim, there was a period of time where they looked for runners. And that's because they, we had a, a huge Baker to Vegas running team. Now that's a ridiculous uh, thing to hire people based on, but that, you know, that's again, you can make it whatever you want. Right. We can't ran. So why not at least bring back that we want highly qualified people to be police officers, have a, a height requirement, age requirement, a fitness requirement. It's police, for God's sake. Do you want some, you know, some load to come in your that can't fit through the door? To come in and try to rescue you uh, with a guy that's you know you know ex extremely skilled in, in martial arts, oh, really is that who you want to come into your door to rescue you and to help you? No, you want a fit human being. I don't care if it's a man or a woman at this point, but they have to be fit because I'm not going to even go there because that'll get me into trouble. But um, you cannot lower. You can't have a low wall for the women and a high wall for the men you can't have a 40 pound bag for them to carry for the dead man lift uh, and then a hundred and something pound bag for the man you can't have that it needs to be so we need to bring back a standard of hiring law enforcement officers that is of the type that we want to be law enforcement officers i don't mind if they have to have some type of a bachelor's degree or or, or a, a similar degree i i didn't have one so i wouldn't have made it uh but i was able to get the equivalent of units through my college to be able to hire, be hired as a police officer. But there's nothing wrong with that, to have people that have education uh, and that have a an understanding of, of, of common sense that, that is uh, rooted out in the oral exams that you get in front of a, uh, a group of people. They'll ask you questions. Hey, what, if this happened, what would you do? What if this happened, what would you do? What is it you know about our police department? What is it you know about law enforcement in the United States? And ask them these questions. Have they taken the time to study? Um, I mean, if you've ever been an employee, uh, one of the questions I ask people, hey, what have you done to prepare for this job? And they go, oh, well, um, I, I saw your ad. Okay, well, you're not going to get this job. Um, <laughs> you know, when I owned a dog training business, it would have been nice if they knew something about dogs, right? And so the same thing with law enforcement. What have you done to prepare to become a police officer? What have you done? What kind of things? Well, I went to I went and took some uh, law classes, some some policing classes in in college, and I and then I, I visited with a police department. I went on some ride-alongs. I, I read newspaper articles. I I um, subscribed to a magazine that got delivered to my home, which is very archaic, by the way. But I uh, you know whatever it is online. 
I mean, all these things need to be back up to a high standard. Um, and second, secondly, and when they get out into the training field, again, we need a strong field training uh, uh, officer program uh, where they're put with highly qualified police officers that really test them. I was highly tested. I was put in, in shooting positions and there was no shooting happening. Uh, they were telling me, you know, my FTO would say, there's a shooting. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Where's cover? Where are you at? He would start yelling at me and I go, Bwah! and I'd have to figure out where I was at. And he would put, it was very highly stressed. It would happen when I was very sleepy at three o'clock in the morning and I was like dozing off. And then suddenly he would scream into an alley and start screaming at me. We're being shot. And I didn't know that we weren't really being shot, but he would put me in the test. So we need high qualified field training officers to test the police officers and make sure that they can pass. We used to fail people in the FTO. Now they figure out ways to get people to pass, like, especially if you're a minority or you're a woman. They find ways to get you to pass. That's not the way it's supposed to work. They're supposed to push you so hard to see if you quit. There's right. a, a big difference between that, between finding a way to get somebody to make it and finding a way to get somebody to quit. Much That's a big, big difference. It's much better to try to get people to quit and they don't. Those are the people you want to quit, to quit, to, to keep, um, and um, as opposed to the other way around. Um, Hedia, what do you think about that? Great. Yes, I'm with you. Yeah. And then you want people out there to do the job, go out there and do the job and work and, and, and take chances. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to leave it at this probably because I probably have something else that comes to mind, but this is something else I want to bring up is that there was so much um, of my career, 21 years of law enforcement. I had a canine. I was on the SWAT team. I also was an observer from time to time in the helicopter. Uh, I was a detective in sex crimes and, and family crimes. So I did a few things. I'm only sharing that. So you kind of have an idea of what I did. Um, was I great at all of them? I wasn't great at all of them, but I, I was never, um, uh, uh arrested <laughs> for doing my job. Um, I was sued federally once, uh, and, uh, and it was, and it was bogus by the way. I, of course, I'm going to tell you that. And you're going to say, well, of course he's going to say it was bogus, but it, it really was. But one time is, uh, as actually pretty good as, as active as I was, my police dog had something in the eighties of a, of arrest where he had to bite guys and bite them seriously. One time he nearly tore uh, the chest muscle off of one bad guy. He was, a um, uh, a car a carjacking suspect, but no, but it was all legit. Um, I know today it would be. Today, for sure, it would be. And he was bleeding pretty bad, but the dog, uh, chased, the dog chased him down, caught him as he was running, caught his chest and pulled him down on the ground. And it, it tore his um, his breast nearly off of his, off his chest. Um, white guy, by the way. Just want to make sure that that's very clear. Um, but uh, my point in saying all this is that all the different things that I did were often based on a feeling. Now, that sounds very strange, but as a law enforcement officer, as you're going out there to work every day, you have to make some decisions, if not many decisions, based on a feeling that you have. I used to t uh, train police officers uh, uh, often all throughout the United States, and I would say, you know, when you feel the little hair standing up on the back of your neck, you got to trust those those little hairs standing back of your neck. And sometimes not go in someplace when those little hairs are standing up or, or you need to make a decision quickly. So those that's one thing, a feeling that you get uh, and making a, a, a quick decision based on your training, your experience and feelings. And if we have all this stuff go through to handcuff police officers that no longer uh, having the, the, the security of um, uh, qualified immunity, uh, where a police officer being arrested just on the fact that somebody got hurt during arrest. And, you know, all these things that are damaging the ability to an officer to make some decisions based on a feeling we're going to lose um, law enforcement 
uh, as we know it, because they're not going to make decisions based on feelings that will save lives, that will instincts. save their lives and the lives of others. Yes. Instincts. I would describe it probably instincts. as their instincts. And it's not, and they're not instincts based on a hunch. They're instincts no. based on experience. Yep. So it's not only your intuition as Priscilla calls it, but it's also you fine tune your instincts based on years of experience. I mean, we had that in counterterrorism. I interviewed hundreds of potential terrorists and, and was asked to evaluate what in their personality, what in their demeanor indicates to you that they're at risk. And we even ran a social service program where we were supposed to, where our social workers and psychologists were evaluating for potential risk factors. I just can't imagine what the entire field of counterterrorism is going to look like if qualified immunities applied in those departments and in those fields, because I was on the intelligence side of things and um, you were on the kinetic side. And I just can't imagine what the intelligence and investigation side of things will look like um, after this. Yep. I'm just going to give you two, two examples to make sure that I'm clear because I, I, I think some people can take it too far either way. Um, but one night I got a call at or actually had a ride along that night and he ended up being a police, uh, later became a police officer uh, with us at the city of Anaheim and actually later on became my sergeant, which is really strange. So he was <laughs> right along with me. And um, what we had was um, a, uh, a parent called and said their daughter just had been raped uh, by a man who was still in the area. And, and I was right around the corner and this is in the South end of Anaheim, uh, near Orangewood and, uh, Anaheim Boulevard. And there's a little neighborhood there on, on Mountain View. And as I pulled in, I turned off my, my lights early and coasted in with my engine, uh, turned off, uh, and stopped in the darkness and got out of my car and my ride along came, uh, came with me is a guy that I could trust. Uh, and so he's with me. And as I got my, uh, have my gun out and as I'm walking in the darkness, but uh, can still see there's still some street lights that are on. And as I'm coming around the corner, I see a dark shadow. And as I come around the corner, I said, show me your hands. And the guy turns around with a machete in his hands. And the suspect had been described as a 20 something, nearly 30 year old man, male Hispanic. This is a Hispanic area of, of Anaheim. All, everybody there is Hispanic <laughs> and um, a blue jeans and a white T-shirt. You know, typical description of a male Hispanic at that time. As I come around the corner, the guy raises the, the machete and I have my gun drawn on him. And I said, drop the machete. And, and he was very close. I mean, it's so close that he could have hit me with that machete. He dropped it. But what told me, but what I realized um, and, and actually Hank is the, the ride along that was with me. Hank goes, why didn't you shoot him? He goes, because I didn't, I didn't knew it wasn't him. I, I felt strongly that it wasn't him based on what he looked like. He was a little heavy set and it was the dad of the victim looking for the suspect it, at any time. I could have been justified by shooting him because he turned around with the machete in the air. And, uh, and then he realized I was a cop. He dropped it and it was a split second decision not to pull the trigger. That's how fast it was. And Hank asked me, why didn't you shoot him? I goes, I would have shot him. And I go, I just knew I had a, I, as soon as I saw him, I, I it registered. It wasn't him. And that's why I said, drop the machete. And I waited and he dropped the machete. And I, and I said, dude, I said, I almost killed you. Um, where do you think he went? And now he became a witness that I needed to use as opposed to a dead body. So that's one. Um, another one is a robbery that was occurring in a restaurant and out come out of the door as I'm and it's a longer story than this, but just out of the door of this restaurant here, guy comes out and he's got a gun in his hand and and a bag of money and jewelry that he just took from the people inside the restaurant. And as he sees me, he turns and runs 
And I could have let him go. But what I thought he was going to do as he turned towards the door, that he was going to go inside as he was reaching for the doorknob. I decided to shoot him again. That was a decision that I made because I, I had to because I didn't want him to get inside to take further hostages. Again, that was just an instinct and a thought that I had. And it was quick. He was only like five feet away from the door. When he turned to reach for the door, I had to make the decision to shoot him or not, because I thought it would be worse if he went back inside with the gun where all those people still were. Shot? Or it was just a, no, it just took him down and then he limped off. And then we, they, he got shot out by the other cops that were on the other side of the wall <laughs> after I shot him. Uh, they missed. <laughs> um, and then we took him into custody. But do you see the difference? There's those instincts. And I want to make sure that that's very clear. There's an instinct that sure, you can have from time clear. to time. And you have to have those to make sound decisions, whether to take somebody's life or not take somebody's life. And when you damage those by now thinking, now you have to think through, am I going to be sued? Am I going to be arrested? Am I going to become the focus of an internal affairs investigation? Am I going to be drugged through the coals on this really quick decision that you should be able to make without all of that? I mean, now I you're putting so much more on, on that decision making. Go ahead. I mean, I know officers now who are constantly concerned about social media posts, even, mm. you know, so without the added pressure of civil liability is that they're constantly worried they're going to be on their video is going to go viral of anything that they're doing. So they hesitate. They sit back and they're like, they see a bunch of people with phones and they're like, OK, well, why don't I just leave or why don't I just do nothing? It's safer to do nothing. Uh, and then what happens to the level of crime? Level of crime increases when our officers think it's safer to do nothing. I mean, we had this um, several years ago when officers were getting shot on site in these like assassinations of officers where they just stopped coming up on cars because they were afraid of getting shot. Yep. So it's just it's a really dangerous um, situation for our law enforcement and moving forward. What's going to happen? Yeah, there's a lot of really good comments. I appreciate you guys uh, commenting. I think we got most of the ones that uh, I like what Carol is <laughs> the same with flight attendants. They lowered the standards for fast. <laughs> Not very politically correct, but we understand what you mean. <laughs> Oh my God. I have noticed that it's, uh, yeah, it is a little difficult for some of them to get down the aisle. Um, and so I go, well, that's really weird. When did that happen? Right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a horrible video, uh, uh, Priscilla. It is, but it's important one uh, to get out there. I, you know, sometimes I don't share videos that are like that on my personal page. I have to make these decisions. Uh, when I decided to share that on my personal page, I thought it was, it's important to see what's happening in our country that you have to sometimes see the ugliness of what is going on. Uh, I talk about this all the time, that police work is ugly. And sometimes we see police work and it looks really bad, but uh, there's no other way of handling some of these things. When a dog bites somebody, it looks really bad. Uh, but the alternative is that the guy gets away, he uh, goes in the house and takes hostages. Where my dog bit that guy that I told you about that bit him in the chest. Um, he was trying to make his way into a home. Uh, he, we chased him into a residential area. He just got through carjacking somebody. He crashed his car in the residential area. He got out, he ran, I sent my dog. And what he was running towards was a house. Uh, and it was like four or five o'clock in the, in the afternoon or evening. And he could have easily made it inside of a house and taken hostage or something like that. So the alternative to not capturing them and not hurting them would have been that, but it was ugly. Right. It was not pretty. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, the sergeant said, oh, God, I've never seen I've never seen something so bad. So it was bad. Uh, he got surgery and everything got fixed up. But again, the alternative is he takes hostages and hurts somebody who's simply sitting in their house watching television. Right? And that's that's kind of what police office, uh, police uh, policing is. It's not it's not always pretty. Um, 
So what can people do, Hedia, um, to take action? What, what is it we always say? Start small? Or start- yeah, I, I stay informed. Yep. Follow the news. Uh, make sure that I think, you know, we need to take advantage of social media just like um, the lib, the left does. And we should post these articles, get people interested, get people involved, get the discussion going. And that way people, when, when these um, bills come through, the people can respond. Like, I don't know. I don't know how this went to their legislature. Like, was there a vote? Did people have it? Like, again, this comes down to your local politics. And I mean, people ask, how did Jack survive not getting shut down? And all of these other churches either shut down or they were fined excessively. And that's because Jack's involved in local politics. He knows most of the city council members. If they're not members of the church, they're close associates of the church. He's involved in the school board. Ever since he got in that community, he engrossed himself in the local community. And I think every single citizen um, should take that same that same action is realize that this is your home territory and everything that happens. It doesn't matter whether you don't have kids, still be involved in the school board and what it teaches because those kids that are getting taught are your neighbors. You know what I mean? They're going to grow up to be your city council members. And so we need to really be concerned about what's happening, not just nationally, but locally. Everything starts local. Perfect. And just to remind people that may not know who Jack is, but uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs, uh, uh, the pastor for Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, um, he opened in May. Uh, to three services on Sunday, 3,000 people attend every service, and he has three of those. So that's a little over 9,000 people uh, that join on Sundays. And uh, well, between he, the people outside, they say it averages 14 to 15,000 every Sunday. Wow. Uh, and children uh, attend the uh, children's ministry in classrooms, no masks, no partitions, no <laughs> nothing. No uh, uh, capacity. And and since May, he's been threatened uh, by the governor of California to be arrested and shut down. And uh, what Hedy is saying is that because he's so um, uh, connected with uh, local politicians and stays politically uh, interested and tells all of us to do the same thing, um, none of that happened and was somewhat protected. Okay, one last thing is uh, the next thing, in addition to what you said, that was perfect. That's exactly what I was hoping that you would talk about. Um, And when much of this occurs with law enforcement. There's always this racist thing that comes up, right? It's always based on, not always, but often based on racism. And what I, I often wanted to bring to attention and I, and I try to every time is that the importance of uh, fathers being involved in the raising and the, in the, in their children's lives, the, how important that is. And we, we see that in statistics all the time, um, how important it is that when you have a father involved with the mother, whether they're divorced or not, um, you have greater success of the children not ending up in jail, uh, and, and committing crimes. Uh, an important statistic that I just heard today is that 70% of births in the black community are out of wedlock. Next, if you put that next to the crime rates, there is a trackable parallel uh, in regard to um, the criminality of, uh, of men as they grow up and their lack of uh, being, having a father in their life. Uh, also, you can uh, also connect um, uh, the, you know, uh, education, obviously, to that also. Uh, 
so it's important when we're, when we're talking about this thing. So what is it we need to do is we need to address those issues in the black community. Um, the people that are most affected by a lack of policing is the black community. They're the ones that are being mostly effective. If you if you look at of any of these cities in, in New York and in, in Minneapolis, in Chicago, and I can go on to all the others, Baltimore, is that the the the, the most crime that's occurring in all these statistics you see are, are occurring in black communities. And so it's not, and they want police. If you talk to any of them, they they say, We're, we don't want the funding the police. We need police and we need good sound uh, uh, law enforcement in our communities. What we need uh, is uh, we need to understand why is it that we don't have fathers uh, raising their children? That that would be well, one thing. I'd like to point out too, because I've, uh, I actually was involved with a client of mine that did a lot of research on the welfare state and the fatherless homes. And Unfortunately, what the left does is they incentivize uh, the poor income people that are on welfare, and though they may be black, they could be white, they could be any color, to not marry by providing child support funding for fatherless homes. In other words, if they marry, they lose the funding. And so unfortunately, it's encouraging them to have marriages, I mean, uh, have children outside of wedlock. A, a system that we could easily fix. They they say, oh no, that would be so prejudicial. I said, no, why don't you incentivize marrying? They say, oh, well, that's prejudicial because you're incentivizing marriage. You know what I mean? Like when statistically, you know, fatherless homes and children out of wedlock leads to crime, poverty, then incentivize getting married and having two parent households so that you can get them out of poverty. But they have no interest in getting them out of poverty. They want to hold them on the welfare plantation so they continue to vote for them, even though they're Communities are riddled with crime. They don't have uh, economic opportunities, educational opportunities. They want to keep them um, enslaved to the system that gives a, a measly check when uh, the, the rest of the world has so much more to offer them if they were to just um, incentivize a positive growth system instead of a negative one. Right. So saying that's racist, but uh, saying that... Um... A, you know, we can't have IDs required for voting because uh, blacks are too stupid to be able to get IDs. That's not racist. Saying that they're too dumb to bring their own water to uh, to the ballot booths is, is, <laughs> is not racist. And we're really living in an upside down world. I saw somebody, I think it was Carol or uh, Priscilla, yeah. we're in an upside down world. Right, everything's uh, uh, opposite, opposite world. All right. Yes, absolutely on purpose. So uh, is there anything um, positive we can end this on? <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ shall return. Yes. As Pastor Jack says, it's time of the signs. So oh. when you see the when you see the signs on the horizon, know your Lord is near. So that's all find faith, folks. Like if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, get one. Like, I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about meeting Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. All it is is uh, uh, accepting that he died for your sins. Repent, turn back to him, give your life to him as your Lord and Savior. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, my friends, all of our usuals are on. Carol and Carl, Amy, Priscilla, uh, appreciate you guys. I'm, no, I'm going to probably miss somebody now and I'm, they're going to be angry. Uh, but uh, even somebody watching from Twitch, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to go through and make sure I didn't miss somebody. 
Yeah, we had a few other people from Twitch and YouTube. It's awesome. All right, my friends, we love you guys. Um, just stay strong. Uh, continue to get involved locally. So important. Priscilla, or no, Carol said that she has dinner with the mayor. We have dinner with our mayor. Uh, awesome. Great. And nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Be involved. And when Hedy and, and I finally find a place to live together. <laughs> We decided to say together. Um, uh, I, I, I can't. I can't wait to see what we do locally. I, I know that we um, we're going to be highly involved because um, uh, this is where we are. This is where we're going to be for a while. We're not moving anywhere, and so we are going to um, do as we preach. What is it? What's the saying? There's a saying that we're going to practice. practice what we <laughs> we're going to practice. You already have. We you went yeah. and gave a great speech at the school board. You've had the intro on a million times. Like just pounding that issue and it had great results folks kept on the pressure schools are opening it's one of the only counties in the area i think that's going to go full-time before fall so congratulations congratulations that was super successful awesome thank you uh yeah i'm so happy with all that and uh, now, and then you have what happened in san diego all those teachers that aren't teaching uh, the teaching Zoom are going to the border <laughs> teach. <laughs> because it's a crazy world. But thank you for that. I didn't mean to bring that down to, uh, but thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's being involved. And uh, we're going to do more of that because it works. All right, my friends. We love you. Hedia. God bless. We love you. All right. Take care. Talk to you later.